Welcome to The Pre-Work, a limited podcast series about being in a relationship with one another. Part one of this podcast focuses on the somewhat divergent ways BIPOC and white folks can prepare to go on an equity journey together, while part two tackles justice and equity, but for queer and straight folks. I'm your host, your narrator, and sometimes panelist, Crystal Cheatham, alongside Melvin Bray, who serves as our interviewer. In the 90s, there was a fad. The books Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. The basic premise was that the reason men and women have difficulties in relationships is because they process things, function, and are motivated by radically different things. Their impulses are like that of two different planets. I mean, it's pop psychology at its finest. And in a way, we are addicted to these simple, basic, reductive binaries. Good guy, bad guy, you know? Right-wing politics, left-wing politics, real, fake, light, dark, black, white, the list goes on. In fact, opposites are one of the first concepts we teach kids. But then we grow up, and as it goes, so should our emotional ability to digest nuance, the gray area between the binaries. The following is a conversation about binaries hosted by cis-straight male Melvin Bray. I and cis gay male Cedric Harmon wouldn't usually have this gender expansive conversation without GNC people present in the room, but this is the pre-work. We're working up to it. And so we're asking you to step between the planets on this one. What if there are a few planets between men are from Mars and women on Venus? Hey, Crystal. Hey, Cedric. Hey, hey Melvin. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Good to be with y'all. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start here. What brings you to the work of LGBTQIA equity? Hi, everyone. I'm just going to pause here to talk a little bit about some of the words used in this episode. And the first one that comes up is LGBTQIA equity. Now, equity is just and fair inclusion into a society in which all can participate and prosper and ultimately reach their full potential. LGBTQIA equity addresses issues of representation, inclusion, and support of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. The second word I want to talk about is sexual orientation. Now, sexual orientation is about who you're attracted to and want to have relationships with. It's about who you feel drawn to romantically, emotionally, and sexually. Sexual orientations include gay, lesbian, straight, bisexual, and of course, asexual. All right, I'll let you get back to it. Why does it matter to you? And what specific impact are you trying to make in your work? Well, Melvin, thanks for the question. What brings me to the work in in part is the work of many voices is directly related to conversation, education, information, advocacy work around the issues of sexuality and spirituality or sexuality and faith. And we came to this work, and I came to this work primarily out of a concern for members of my community, um, members of black churches, historically black churches, who were having quite a bit of difficulty in navigating the complexities of human sexuality and gender that were showing up in the ways we live our lives, in the ways in which we interact with one another, and actually in the ways that we treat one another, which to me was inconsistent with theological principle of loving one another as we love ourselves. Mm, mm, That makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, What about you, Crystal? You know, I think similar to Cedric, 
what brought me here was a very personal uh, interaction with the faith community that left me feeling dismayed and wanting more. And uh, I think the impact that I'm hoping to have is to, to challenge those uh, theologies that continue to oppress unwitting people. Um, and so I'm really excited about the work that I get to do with our Bible app, the, uh, the digital publishing that we do, and now the print publishing that we do, which uh, just pushes back on negative rhetoric around being LGBTQ in uh, Christian and religious spaces. Absolutely. But wouldn't it be easier for you or actually for anyone just to ignore issues of queer inequity? So the premise of your question is, wouldn't it be easier? And so the first thing that comes to mind is I hear that is easier for whom? Mm. Um, easier for those that are being oppressed, easier for those that are being marginalized, easier yes. for those that are not having access? No, not at all easier for them. Oh. So that's the first part I would say that we, when we take these actions, getting back to this theological concept of loving others, even as we would want love to show up for ourselves, inequity is just the opposite of that. Inequity is some receiving what they need and others not receiving what they need and have a right to. Mm. And so working towards equity is, is not only a good social premise, it's a good theological premise. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, when, when you ask that question, I immediately, like, why, why isn't it easier not to? I think, you know, wouldn't it be easier not to uh, work towards racial equity if you're white? <laughs> you know, like I myself am an out uh, member of the queer community. I identify as a lesbian and I'm happy to tell anybody who has any questions about my, my orientation. Um, and I just find that I can't survive uh, without doing something about it. And so, you know, maybe my, my work is, is self-seeking, but, you know, I look back, I look backward to the generations that have to come after me. And I think I really don't want this to have to happen to you. I don't want the confusion, yeah. the loneliness and, and all of that to follow you. So I have it in me to say something and to live my life in a way that, that uh, creates space for others. And I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally am right there with you. Right now, I think that uh, you can't go two steps without somebody uh, talking about LGBTQ this, you know, all the letters and <laughs> queer this and uh, a commercial about with, you know, uh, two women in a relationship. Like it's everywhere, you know, so it is worth the time to learn about it you know, just to not be ignorant about it. And once you start to learn about it, the fear of, of what it may be, what it could be, starts to melt away. And I'm hoping that these conversations that we have, have together allow folks to, uh, to, to move in that direction. So I'm thinking about kind of the forces that helped to create this culture of shame, and supremacy and, 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 and you know, this, this idea that straight folk deserved to be on top. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about what created that. And, and a couple things come to mind. 
you know, whether a queer person or a straight person, the idea of LGBTQIA equity has often felt, at least until very recently, almost too big, too big a lift, right? Um, so, so the bigness of trying to transform society seems to have some play. And then also, you know, conversations of, about sex and sexuality have historically been taboo, right? So yep. the, the question I guess I have for you is if, if I'm a person, particularly a person of a faith background that already has all these taboos, and then I'm overwhelmed by this, this, this sense of transformation, that, that this lift that I don't think I'm capable in helping to make. Um, why should I put my energies into helping make the lift? And how do we enter into that work in a way that, quite frankly, just has more respect, right, <laughs> than, than, than we've, we, we see often given in the faith community toward our queer brothers and sisters that's just full of more respect in light of so much ignorance that we carry around the subject? So let me just start with a, a reality. The vast majority of us uh, have not had the grand opportunity to engage in a comprehensive sexuality education moment. That is not a typical reality for the vast majority of us. And so for me, I entered into this work, as I said, out of a sense of loving my people and seeing the harm that was being visited upon my people. Uh, and so I understood that it would be important for me to gain as much information and knowledge as I possibly could. Uh, and to understand that the starting point for many of us is we don't know everything there is to know about sex and sexuality. As a matter of fact, I joke about this, but it's true. Most of us know only the first three letters of the, of the word sexuality. We only know sex. Stop talking about me, Cedric. We only know sex. And so for us, everything boils down to those first three letters. And so that is a misinformed beginning point. Mm -hmm. We do not have a full understanding of the depth and breadth of sexuality. And then if you add in gender, a whole nother level, level and layer of deep information that's needed, but we do not all have. So what do we have? We start with what we've heard. So when I was having a conversation about this and, and leading a training, I asked people and have asked people, so what were the lessons that you were taught around sex? And people will tell me all kinds of things that they were, you know, many of these lessons started in their biology class in, in middle school or high school. Or others say that maybe mom or dad had a conversation that was very awkward. <laughs> or they entered into the conversation with their friends and peers in school around what sexuality and sex is. And so these were not great sources of information. <laughs> it was kind of like fly by night, kind of pick up what you pick up as you go along, right? Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately. <laughs> So this is further complicated when you deal with the diversity of sexual orientation and gender expression. Let me just say this also. Every human being has a sexual orientation, not just LGBTQI people. 
I'm going to say that one more time for folks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Every human being <laughs> has a sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression, not just LGBTQ people. And it lends to the confusion and the unnecessary and unexamined harm that we cause to one another because our starting point is misinformation. Similar to our misinformation around racial equity, our starting point around race and where race actually has come to define our interactions with one another in this country and around the world leaves us committing harms and unintentional harms and implicit biases because we have not examined uh, the ways in which race plays out. So for me, sexual and gender equity are connected to our goal of racial equity in a myriad of ways. Yeah. And sometimes we overlook that. So that was the ignorance I'm talking about, right? Like, like just the basic, right? Like we all have an orientation and we all have a sexuality and we all have a gender expression. It's not just a queer thing. And, and so many straight people have had that invisibilized for them, right? Like, so they assume that they are normative. They assume that they are the frame of reference, that they are neutral. But there's such deep ignorance there. What have you learned over the years about how straight people can enter into a conversation with respect? What do we need to understand? How do we start building the respect there? What, 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 what have you found works? You know, I, I, I would say open a book. <laughs> open a book and listen to the young people. And it, it sounds uh, reductive, but like Cedric said, if we haven't learned about our sexualities, it's time that we did learn and that we started to push back against those, some of those misconceptions. It sounds simple, but it's very, it's very poignant and important that this reality of our human ex- experience, our sexuality and our gender, they're such big parts of our lives. Why wouldn't we devote time and attention to it? And what I mean by that is, Again, if you, if you recognize the word sexuality and don't just get stuck on those first three letters, sexuality includes all the ways that we be with and interact with one another. It, it has to do with our friendships. It has to do with our, our relationships with our guardians or parents or grandma and grandpa. It's about the way we show up in the world. And so why wouldn't we pay attention to how we're showing up in the world and not devote time to understanding this more deeply as opposed to making it such kind of, you can just kind of like a pass by. No, this is essential to human existence. Right. So um, one of my favorite tools when it comes to this is um, the genderbred person. Okay, genderbred person. Now, The Genderbred Person is a free online resource which was created by Sam Killerman. As a worksheet, it guides an individual to chart their gender identity, gender expression, anatomical sex, and romantic attraction on four spectrums. To see the figure, visit genderbred.org. And something you brought up, uh, Melvin, was you said it just seems like it is so hard for us to, to finally come to a place where the, the straight cisgendered person is in equity with the LGBTQIA person, right? 
in a 2012, I started working with an organization called Soul Force. And uh, ultimately what we were was a, was a bus full of activists. And um, we went around to Christian universities around the States on a two month bus tour where we uh, engaged with university leaders student government. We're talking to president of of the university and we're telling them that the policies that they have in their handbooks, their student handbooks, are harmful to those likely five to 10 percent LGBTQ youth who go to their school or work at their school as staff. Oh, wow. That's such courageous work. It it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. (laughs) But you know, we are, we're going around the country and, and on, on our list, we have 18 different schools. And uh, of course we end up going to, I think like 22 or 24. And at each one, it was like a brick wall. Those universities that would invite us again, they're Christian universities, you know, so they have Mm. every right to, uh, to discriminate against LGBTQ people. Mm. Um, And so every single one of these universities, the ones that invite us in, we're sitting down, we are having great conversation with the administration. Um, Some, sometimes it's even a, a dinner, we're being entertained, we get to have a workshop for them. And then afterwards, they shut the door and they never talk about it again, you know, or we are engaging with the youth and, and they're only allowed to go so far before we are told we have to leave. I, that the, the two months that I was in that service and doing that work uh, was very demoralizing because I felt like I'm not seeing the tangible change. I'm not walking away from this with, with, uh, with converts, you know, I'm not walking away having argued away all of the, uh, the eight clobber texts, the Bible passages that, that folks use the most to talk about why you shouldn't be queer. Um, I'm not having an effect, but I want to say that, you know, that was in 2012. And to this day, uh, starting like maybe two years after the fact, you know, each one of us, each one of us, uh, equality writers started to get, um, Facebook messages, started to get emails, started to run into people at conferences who were at those universities and colleges when we stopped by mm. and have since come out and yes. are so, and are in charge of their, uh, their faith alongside their um, uh, queer experience. And, you know, one of the things that we were teaching, I mean, I say that because it, that it does, the change does come, the change does come, you know, do the effort and you will see, you will see it eventually. But I say that because we, one of the things that we were teaching in those workshops was about the gender bred person. And anybody can go online and you can look up the gender bred person and it's a great exercise. And I think even right now, and try and plot yourself along the gender pred person's graphs. So the first one is just a line uh, going in either direction. And if that's your gender identity, you know, where do you fall along the lines as I am a woman or I am a man or I am, I'm, I'm genderqueer. I don't really identify as a man or a woman. I don't feel 
uh, uh, particularly feminine or masculine. Um, and the next one is gender expression. How do you express yourself? You know, you, you straight person, how do you express yourself? Do you find that you are very, very feminine and girly, kind of Barbie <laughs> almost? Mm. Or are you uh, on the other the other spectrum more... Uh, more uh, of a lumberjack kind of kind of person, and you can still be a woman and and identify and 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 know that your expression is is masculine. You know, you you love wearing plaid. If we can continue down that lumberjack road, you know, and you know, it goes on to uh, biological sex. It goes on to um, sexual orientation, and I think the last one is um, commitment style. You know, which is which is you know a whole other thing, but I, I would suggest that you as a straight person, somebody who um, doesn't know where to start, go and look and plot yourself and ask your spouse to plot themselves and ask your neighbors to plot themselves and see how different you all are. You know, this is a conversation that you've never had to have before, but it is a part of you um, and a part of your experience. You know, the things you all are talking about reminded me of something and I, I'm going to offer this uh, to those who are straight listening out of respect for how much you don't know. One of the things I have learned it is that generally speaking, it is better to ask than to tell. Um, particularly when you're talking about stuff where you know there are, are, are sincere gap, gaps in your knowledge, right? Like in, so asking questions, being fundamentally curious uh, and treating folk with the, the basic human dignity of not trying to be an authority on their life. I know that um, when well-meaning folks try to engage me around my queerness, I have the most successful conversations with them when it feels like they're expecting to also change during the conversation. You know, it's not just them telling me what they think and that's that you know they're listening to my story their heart is open they are engaged not only will i learn not only will i learn something but they too will walk away with something and that is that is building relationship the meat and bones of the stuff you know and that is um that's that's non-violence work that is mm -hmm. engaging it in order that you both will change when folks come and talk to me, the stuff that, that really stops me from hearing them is uh, language. You know, if mm. you say things like love the sinner, hate the sin, Ugh. I've turned off, you know, <laughs> I'm gone. Uh, if you say, uh, I, I love you and respect you, but it's still a sin, or, you know, I care about you, but, you know, I, I don't agree with your lifestyle. I turn off, you know, I can't hear you. Uh, because ultimately what you're saying is there's still something wrong with you, you know, and uh, I can't and I feel like uh, engaging with somebody and and seeing them as as second class or less than is, uh, I think, a really petty way to just, to start a conversation. It's dehumanizing. <laughs> it's dehumanizing. Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Let me ask you this. So when we talk about individuals and organizations undertaking a queer equity journey, what exactly are we talking about? Where are we trying to get to? And what difference is equity from equality 
when we think about this work here? Well, it's a great question. Um, so thank you, Melvin, for your story, which kind of pointed to a deep mutual curiosity uh, and a respectful curiosity that you were engaging in. Uh, each of us live out our expressions of sexuality and gender differently as unique human beings. The question around equity versus equality, the presumption is that when you say, well, we're all equal, are we in terms of access? Are we in terms of our ability to achieve our dreams and our desires and our loves? Equity is about that equal access across the board and recognizing that there are ways in which our biases and our prejudices differentiate between us in ways that we are not all having equal access and therefore equity has not been established. Mm. And so the view that Crystal was talking about, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of dynamic mm. says that, well, number one, it says that I get to determine who's sinner and who's Yes, yes. So that puts me in a power position. So that that, that delineation and that duality is problematic. Mm -hmm. Um, The the binaries that we put in. So heterosexuals are preferred um, persons that are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual. They are secondary Mm -hmm. groups of people. Mm. That's not equity. So we are all gifted with human sexuality and gifted with gender and we express it differently. And that difference is not deficient and that difference should not be denied or diminished. It should be respected and received as a gift of another human being whose experience is different from mine, but may not be as different as I think. There are more commonalities than we can imagine if we are mutually respectful in our curiosity about one another. We're more alike than we are different. So I'll tell you a quick story. When I was doing this work early on, I had a friend who called me. He was in the church and was having a difficult time. And the difficulty was arising because he was coming to recognize himself as a same gender attracted, same gender loving, or what we would call a gay man. And that was bumping up against his religious teaching. And so was really, really struggling and just could not understand and said, well, okay, I know what I'll do. I just won't, I just won't interact with anyone. I, I'll stop having sex and I just, I'll just stop. I just won't, and then I'll be okay. So uh, I heard the, the, the pain and the struggle and there's a three letter way that I addressed this with him. So here are the three letters. I said, well, you could, you could stop and that would address your behavior. Mm. Uh, you could also, after having done that, tell people, I'm a heterosexual man and I'm, I'm attracted to women. So you could present a different identity. You could do that. But the one thing that's going to be very difficult for you to change is your orientation. B-I-O. Your orientation is your orientation. You are attracted to who you're attracted to and that is showing up for you. Not acting on it or changing the way you identify does not address the reality of who you are as a person and your true attractions as they are showing up for you. Mm -hmm. And so if we understand that behavior, identity, and orientation interact, but our orientation is our orientation, we do not have a clear understanding of everything that goes into us being attracted to who we're attracted to. We are. Wow, that's beautiful. We are, right? And, and being coming to peace with 
who we are is, is, is half of this work. But you, you, you also talk about this accessibility, getting access and the different access, the differentiated access that we have when, when we're straight and cisgendered versus um, bisexual and cisgendered versus trans versus, you know, like the, the levels of access to not just power, but, uh, but power as, as defined by social science as the ability to meet one's needs and to uh, the ability to affect one's environment for the benefit of one's oneself to the material realities or the material necessities of life uh, can, can, can be different. And so the work of equity then becomes, how do we create that access no matter how one is oriented or how one identifies? Let me ask you this, understanding how differentiated our experiences are, is the work of equity the same for queer folks as for straight folks? You know, I really wish that it were the same, the same kind of work, so that we could just have a formula and be done with it, you know, dole it out. You do this, I do this, and we're done. Um, but it definitely isn't. And that has to do with the, the power dynamic. Right now, you know, it is, you are in a place of power, you are in a place of quote unquote normalcy uh, to be a uh, straight cisgendered person. Um, but if you are, you know, anybody along that, that, that alphabet, LGBTQIA, uh, you are in a place of constant struggle and, and fight, you know, and, um, it just, it's an, it's incredibly, it's, in, it's incredibly hard to, uh, to naturally be in that space of fighting and struggling, and then also have to educate and teach and do more and more and more. And there are those of us who are queer who, who decide, you know, this is something I have to do, you know, like me. And, but not everybody's yeah. there. Not everybody wants to be an activist. Mm. Um, and it, it, we rely on our cisgender, uh, straight, allies to educate the person next to them uh, to make room for us to uh, to turn the turn the tide for us and um, so you know I with all the work that I have done there's very little that I would be able to do if my my mother who was straight if my brothers who are straight hadn't stood up for me in family spaces and said you know what we are not going to say anything negative about our, our beloved daughter, our beloved sister. Um, and that just permeated out, you know, there isn't a place where I can go in, uh, on, on my mother's side of the family where, where uh, I can't be myself, I can't bring a partner. And, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that by myself, being the person in our family structure without any power uh, when yeah. it comes to orientation. Mm. Yeah. So the struggle towards equity, uh, as Crystal has said, no, it's not the same. But the, the goal of equity is very similar. Uh, in that, if you would consider this, and most people may not know that transgender people report earning less than $10,000 a year. Wow. Four times that poverty level of the general population. 
The average household of a same-sex couple raising children is $15,000 a year. That's 20% less than a heterosexual couple. These numbers are not just numbers. These are people's lives. That's right. And add on to that being a person of color, being Black, the numbers are even worse in wow. terms of the disproportionate, what's being called the gay, the gay gap, the gay kind of earning gap. This is unacceptable, <laughs> right? It's unacceptable. Yeah. But you're doubly burdened or sometimes triply burdened if you are a Black trans woman or if you are a, a, a BIPOC gender nonconforming person. Mm -hmm. Right. So the layers of inequity and the layers of discrimination and the layers you have to fight through just to live mm -hmm. is unacceptable. Yeah. But that's the reality. So yeah. why do this work? Because people are hurting in huge numbers and it's only gotten worse as the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 has visited upon these same populations disproportionately in ways that are affecting their ability to imagine or dream of living a life of value for themselves. And to be clear, right, like those, the, the statistics you quote and the structural, the, the lives that are impacted and the structural inequity that, that, that creates those statistics, it is not the responsibility of queer folk to dismantle those. Those were erected by straight folk and often straight white folk, right? And so the work of the historically privileged and empowered is to dismantle the systems of inequity that create those types of statistics so consistently. Yes. I just wanna throw in there, it's, it's not their job and it's not their fault. You know, we look at poverty uh, amongst, you know, marginalized groups and we say, it is your fault. You are not working hard enough. But right now in America, right-wing politicians are trying to pass some incredibly abhorrent and dehumanizing laws against uh, transgender youth, transgender people all around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is to keep them from succeeding. It is to keep them uh, marginalized in their place. And let me tell you, when, uh, when you are poor, it costs money to be poor. Oh my goodness. Like nobody's <laughs> business. Being was, poor is not cheap. It is a tax on everything. There's a fee for everything. You know, it is a system that you get caught in and that you cannot get out. I, I, that's, if we can walk away with one thing, it is knowing that the, these systems are real and they're alive and they are monsters and that they are there to, to put certain people in their place, but it is not their fault. Absolutely. Cedric, let's get specific about the work of Many Voices, right? Mm -hmm. Like from what I understand, Many Voices utilizes a particular curriculum to provide comprehensive sex education to uh, the churches and, uh, and para-organizations that you partner with. Would, would you tell us about that curriculum and uh, why it became kind of your map of choice for queer equity work with congregations? Certainly, I'm glad to. So um, the work that we do is based upon the Our Whole Lives, Sexuality and Our Faith curriculum. 
it is a full lifespan curriculum. So from kindergarten through end of life. Uh, and it's taught in modules at, at different levels uh, based upon age. Uh, and so all of us express our human sexuality throughout the entirety of our lives from birth to the end of our lives. And all of us express our gender uh, from birth throughout the end of our lives. It's a comprehensive sexuality education curriculum. Uh, and it is based upon uh, some values and a tool. So I will name these because I think they're really helpful. You can look this up online. Uh, the tool is called the Circles of Sexuality, and they are five interlocking circles. And in the middle of those interlocking circles is a, a sixth circle called values. And so that model of those five circles, each circle is uh, assigned an area of human sexuality. So I will name them quickly. Sensuality, intimacy, sexual identity, sexual health and reproduction, sexualization. Those five circles help us understand the range in which sexuality is present in our lives. The values that we overlay on top of that model of, of the circles of sexuality are the values of self-worth, sexual health, responsibility, justice, and inclusivity. So you can imagine that if self-worth is a value that overlays your intimacy, your sexual and reproductive health, your sensuality, your intimacy, and your sexualization, make sense? It helps us formulate how we live out these aspects of our human sexuality, yes, and our gender yes. expression. Yes. If the value of responsibility is overlaying those various aspects. You can see how this actually helps us really understand what we're talking about and gives us agency and authority in how we navigate our human sexuality and our interactions with one another and the ways in which we navigate our gender and gender expression with one another in the world. Wow, Cedric, my sexual education was woefully inadequate. I tell you, my friend. And imagine if justice and inclusivity is the value overlaying, then how could we not respectfully and lovingly interact with those persons who are along the spectrum of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender, intersex, and questioning, and asexual? Because the values define the way that we interact. And these values we hold, but somehow when it comes to the queer community, even good church-going folk, mm. Mm. the values get lost in their interaction. And judgment becomes the only value of value and worth for them in those moments. Have mercy. Have mercy. Cedric, Cedric, you have me thinking, thinking about something. I, one of the questions you and I have repeatedly spoken about since meeting one another is like how, how to do queer justice work in a manner that actually centers queer people and invites straight people to adapt to being decentered. That is made a lot easier beginning to think about this kind of circle and values stuff. But, and I'm wondering if you could speak to your younger self, what, would you want your younger self to know starting out that might help 
you maintain a kind of queer-centered practice? Great question. So one of the things I would want my younger self to know is that my unique self is a divinely intentional, unique gift to the world. And it's wonderful. Yes, it is. <laughs> that myself, that I am wonderful, that I am, a, I am wondrous and I am a gift of the divine to the world mm -hmm. in all my uniqueness. Mm -hmm. In my me-ness, in my being me, I'm a gift to the world. And if, if, if that is instilled at the earliest stages and reinforced over time, then you stand in a certain level of assurance that even when people say something to the detriment of you or that's opposite of that, it does not sink into your consciousness in the way that it has for yes. so many for so long. Yeah, because yes. those tapes, crystals, it's the tape that says I'm not worthy. There's something wrong with me. If I could fix myself, then, then I would be accepted. The experiences, the negative experiences I have and the circumstances that I'm going through define me and they're because of me. They're somehow my fault. No, that's just not true. Systems have been constructed that try to tear you down, but it's not your fault. It's, there's nothing wrong with you. That's what I would want myself to know. Mm, mm. So beautiful. So Crystal, uh, as someone who is actually closer to the start of your career <laughs> than us gray-haired folk here. Oh, come on. <laughs> In what ways are you discovering that younger queer people are struggling to center themselves as they pursue equity? And what are they doing, what are you doing to, to, to fight the good fight so that you stay centered in your work? Remarkably so. Young folks today are doing a lot better than I was doing or, or maybe Cedric was doing. Um, they have resources and tools that we didn't have before. Um, but there are still those young folks who are stuck in um, conservative spaces, who don't have access to resources, who are constantly hearing that the that tape running in their head that they are um, that they are not enough and that they will never be enough. And I think that what can help is, uh, you know, I said this before, is resources and access to resources. And um, that's what our Bible app does. Um, we offer uh, digital, we, we, we digitally publish um, resources that are meant to push back on the rhetoric that says, you know, God can never love you. <laughs> Uh, your parents could never love you. You can never be in uh, a, a same-sex relationship and married before God, or you can never come out as the trans person that you are, Ooh. or nobody can love you if you are asexual. Um, and young folks are, are reading that material. They are internalizing it. They are 
um, listening to uh, podcasts that that talk about that. They are watching TikToks about that, <laughs> and it is incredible. And they are they will continue to be so much more informed than than we ever are, and raise raise and bring into the world. Um, a generation of folks who are far more able to love uh, beyond the boundaries that we are confined to. Let's end here. What do straight folks need to understand? You know, just wrapping it up, I would say straight folks need to know that this isn't an us versus them, that they are included in these conversations about sexuality. And once you start to ask those questions about um, what is my gender expression? You know, <laughs> I've never thought of it before. Um, you'll start to see how in the dark we all have been about sexuality, uh, as Cedric put it. And then your growth will, will start and you will be able to see how alike we are and not how very different we are. Well, that's a pretty good day's work. Uh, and I am so appreciative to have this time with you. So this is Crystal Cheatham, Cedric Harmon, and Melvin Bray saying thank you for beginning the pre-work with us. We'll continue to help you pack your bags for this equity journey tomorrow. And, but until then, be good to yourselves and to others. Thank you for tuning in with us. There is a lot to think about, and so we've packed you a bag to help you in the coming days as you reflect. Consider reading the article, A Guide to Gender Identity Terms by Laurel Wamsley on NPR.com. We will continue to add resources to your backpack with each episode. You can also find the links in the podcast show notes or on the pre-work shelf in our Bible app. The pre-work is a product of Being in Relationship, a program of Auburn Seminary. It has been edited and produced by Crystal Cheatham from Our Bible Lab. <laughs>